Welcome to the premiere episode of the Leaders in Learning podcast series, a product of the Collaborating Learning and Adapting Team at the United States Agency for International Development, USAID. My name is Stacy Young, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the first of a seven-part podcast series that I'm co-hosting with my friend and colleague, Piers Bocock. Hi, Piers. Hi, Stacy. Starting from a theory that effective learning organizations are more impactful development organizations, Leaders in Learning is a seven-part podcast series that explores promising practices in building learning organizations through interviews with a variety of knowledge management and organizational learning leaders in the international development sector. As a senior learning advisor in USAID's Office of Learning Evaluation and Research in the agency's Bureau for Policy Planning and Learning, my job is to lead the effort to improve USAID's organizational learning capacity. And my co-host, Piers, is the chief of party for our knowledge management and learning contract, which supports our team on this mission. Together, Piers and I set out to interview a wide range of leaders in the disciplines of organizational learning, organizational development, and knowledge management in the international development sector to see what we could learn from their experience, perspective, and approaches. Right, Piers? That's right, Stacy. But not only did we have a lot of fun doing so, but we've used the, some of the wisdom, perspective, experience, lessons, and advice we got from those leaders in learning to plan out what we hope is a really interesting collection of episodes that delve into a range of specific components of successful organizational learning programs in the hopes that we can compile and synthesize some keys to success for ourselves as well as other champions of learning in the development sector. But before we dive into what we mean by learning in development, can I take a moment to list our various learning leaders? Yeah, sure. Go for it. And perhaps let me set the stage for a moment. Um, As is happening right now with the rain falling outside on a gray Washington spring afternoon, the interviews that we did with our leaders in learning varied in setting and timing. We did some in London as part of a DFID-sponsored conference that brought together different donors and implementing partners in learning. We did some over the telephone. We did some in person in our offices here in Washington, so um, bear with us if the sound quality varies a little bit, but just know that the spirit is there. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to tell you the names of the people. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Oh, good. Hey, I'm Chris Collison, so I'm an independent consultant, advisor, uh, and uh, work with a whole range of organisations. So I tend to change my title depending on what the client wants me to be, but fundamentally I advise, support, help, um, connect um, around the overall themes of organisational learning and knowledge management. My name is Karen Mulcahy. I work with the Inter-American Development Bank, and I am Chief of Knowledge Management at the IDB. So my name is Duncan Green. Uh, I have two. I work for two organisations: Oxfam GB and the London School of Economics. So um, my name is Rob Cartridge. I am the head of global knowledge at an international NGO called Practical Action. We are based in the UK and we work across um, South Asia, Africa, and Latin America. So I'm Alison Evans, I'm Chief Commissioner of the Independent Commission for Aid Impact, which is uh, an independent body set up here in the UK in 2011 to 
uh, scrutinise the effectiveness of UK aid. So my name is Gwen Hines, I'm Director for International Relations Division from DFID, the UK Department for International Development. So hi, my name is Tony Pryor, I'm with the Policy Planning and Learning Bureau of uh, USAID, especially in the Office of Strategic and Program Planning, SPP to its friends. My name is Clive Martley. Uh, I work for the Department for International Development uh, in the UK. So I'm Tom Sinclair and I work for CGAP, uh, which is at the World Bank. CGAP is the consultative group to assist the poor. Yes, um, so I'm Kerry Albright. I'm uh, Chief of Research Facilitation and Knowledge Management well, it's quite a lineup, isn't it, Piers? Indeed. And I have to say that I think we both agree that it was really wonderful to talk with them all. The challenge was trying to boil down 10 fascinating conversations into a set of distinct episodes, but we did, and I think we've got an interesting set of episodes to release as part of this series. Shall I talk a bit about how we did that? Yes, definitely. Okay, so through the course of reviewing the 10 interviews that we conducted, we realized that we'd been working toward a learning agenda of our own as we sought to address a number of key learning questions related to the value of systematic, intentional, and resourced organizational learning and knowledge management to improve development outcomes, and we've designed the episodes around those questions. Here they are. In the first episode, we just give an overview of the series and present our theory of change. The second episode explores why organizational learning matters in international development. Episode three explores the role of evidence and data in organizational learning efforts. Episode four asks what aspects of organizational culture contribute to learning capacity. Episode five looks at formal and informal leadership in creating a learning organization. Episode six explores how organizations are integrating intentional learning into their day-to-day -day work. And episode seven, the series finale, looks at the future of organizational learning and international development. So Piers, any thoughts on the overall series? Why do you think listeners should be looking forward to it? And do you wanna talk about the theory of change behind leaders in learning? Yeah, absolutely. And first off, an important point to make upfront, I think Everything that you will hear in this series, while it is tailored to international development, is applicable across any number of sectors. And in fact, um, listeners don't know this, but when we initially designed this series, we thought about bringing in champions of learning and knowledge management from other sectors, but decided to focus this first series on international development because that's where we work. But to your question. so. Part of our theory of change that this series relates to is the belief that if we can provide and talk to and hear from informal and formal leaders in organizational learning, champions of organizational learning, if we can provide them with the evidence, resources, and space to incorporate intentional learning behaviors into their work, then they can help their organizations become more effective at learning and therefore more effective in contributing to development impact. Yeah, that's right, Piers. And I think other parts of our theories of change are also relevant to leaders in learning, you know, having to do with the work that we do at USAID to establish policy guidance around 
organizational learning so that um, we have some some requirements, but also a lot more kind of um, helpful, suggestive guidance around how to infuse collaborating, learning, and adapting into how we design our programs, how we manage their implementation, and how we assess them. So the policy piece, I think, is really important, and I wanted to flag that. Another part of how we approach this work, and and therefore part of our theory of change, has to do with that capacity-building function um, of champions, but also of others who may not yet see themselves as champions, and really approaching that systemically so that we're looking at how we transform the um, behaviors of individuals throughout an organization and also how we transform the processes that shape how those individuals work and collaborate with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And and tying it to the leaders that we spoke to, um, another part of the theory is that we can um, identify from people who've had success in incorporating intentional learning efforts into their work. We can borrow and learn from them so that others who are working in the sphere can um, feel like there are things they can try, they're not alone, um, which is something that we've talked about before. So being able to hear from people who've really made an impact through um, intentional, systematic, and resource collaborating, learning, and adapting uh, really adds value um, and weight to um, those who are trying to do this work on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I think that's right. So, Piers, one more thing that I think might be interesting to our listeners is how you and I came to this work. Can you share briefly your journey to becoming what I certainly consider a leader in learning? Sure. And, Stacy, we asked this question of a number of our um, leaders in learning, how, how they came to this work. Did they set out to be working in organizational development and organizational learning or knowledge management? And invariably, the answer was no, of course not. So I started out really as a communications guy. I actually started out in advertising. I had studied film in college and um, have always... Yeah, yeah. I almost left grad school so I could study film. Really? Yeah, but I didn't. Okay, so that's our next thing. We're going to make a movie together. (laughs) Okay. Maybe we'll just start with YouTube videos of our interviews for the next series. Um, But I've always been fascinated by storytelling. And um, my undergraduate degree in filmmaking didn't take me very far. Um, So I got into advertising and ended up actually working for uh, a government partner, shall we say. Um, Back then we would call them Beltway Bandits, uh, doing a lot of writing and editing. Um, And in the early days of of the internet, um, sort of jumped on that bandwagon as a way to share um, and connect people who are working in um, disconnected offices. Did you make a gazillion dollars and retire at 27? Unfortunately not. That was, I tried to, because I, I did start up a web development company right at the wrong time. <laughs> in fact, we were just kind of hitting our stride working with nonprofits uh, when the dot-com crash happened. And, oh, sorry. Yeah. That's okay, but I learned from it. And what I learned from it is that people want to connect. People 
want to get information. They want to get messages across. They want to connect with each other. But it doesn't always work to have a written report. And so something was sort of tickling me there. And as I continued to work with nonprofits um, and, and small businesses, what I found was that actually small businesses could be much more dynamic and much more nimble. And why was that? Because people were connecting with each other and talking and sharing knowledge. And so I ended up um, actually being recruited out of business school by um, my fairy godmother in, in development, Linda Nemec. Hi, Linda. Um, to go work with DAI and on economic development work. But again, it was all about sharing knowledge and not in a way that we were telling people how to do stuff, but sharing how others were addressing similar challenges. And I loved that. Uh, I completely burned out. Um, I think I did uh, 20 trips in 18 months or something like that. Oh, wow. So then I went to the private sector. Um, and I think I had, I think that was the second knowledge management title I had. But that was back in you know, the, the 90s where being a knowledge manager, people looked at you funny. When I got back into development and really focused on knowledge management as my primary discipline, there weren't many of us. You were one of them. Um, and there were a few people out there who were doing this thing called knowledge management. And when we would get together, it felt like it was a support group. Right. right yeah. <laughs> felt like, oh, oh, oh you you're, you have knowledge management in your title. Do, do you know what you're doing? Because I don't. But it's, you know, this was a thing. And we could mm -hmm. see it coming and we could see the value of it. But it was something that was tacked on uh, at the end, um, perhaps to wrap up a project, but not necessarily to actually make a project more effective. But I've had the good fortune of working with a number of great knowledge management initiatives, including Johns Hopkins and Management Sciences for Health, um, CGIAR, and all of those were looking at how one can help our end stakeholders by giving them the context and information and um, approaches that have worked and could be applicable if it worked for them. And, um, you know, it's interesting finally coming back around to working with organizations to help them be more effective instead of working in agriculture or health or economic development. It has been so exciting to see USAID really make this shift towards becoming a learning organization. And a huge amount of credit, I think, goes to people like you and Tony and and a number of other champions across the agency, Zachary and Peggy Diadamo, people who have seen this coming and seen the value and just plugged away and plugged away and plugged away until the sector was ready. I'm sure that's way too long, but um, that's how I got here. How about you, Stacey? I'm going to turn the tables. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, I just want to say that's such an interesting evolution, and it's neat to see you come full circle back. Um, a few interesting aspects of your biography that I did not know. On my side, I've always been interested in change processes. In college and then in graduate school, I spent a lot of time studying social movements and social change and also being a political activist. And so change for the better has always been um, a, a really fundamental driver for me. After grad school, I taught at a liberal arts college for a while, including courses on social movements and social change, and 
public policy. And then I had the opportunity to move to East Africa, and I started working in international development then. I worked for 10 years as an independent consultant, five of those in East Africa. And I worked broadly across sectors. I worked um, on a project for Swedish CETA. We always said Swedish CETA then because that's when there was still a Canadian CETA. Um, this was my first consulting job. They were looking at shifting from working with the government of Kenya to working with um, civil society organizations. And they wanted a desk study on what the issues were involved in a donor working with civil society organizations. They wanted a directory of all of the organizations in Kenya that worked in the aid sectors that they were interested in. And they wanted in-depth interviews with leaders in those sectors. And I got to do all of that. And it was really the best introduction to international development that I could have had. And knowledge management, actually. And knowledge management, exactly, yeah. And so I went from there to uh, working. I did a lot of work in the health sector because I had worked um, both academically and as an activist on HIV and AIDS issues. Um, So I worked on those issues. I worked on agriculture issues. I worked on, um, I worked with Rockefeller and Ford on issues of uh, philanthropy and development change. and just really got to operate in a wide swath of development issues and meet a tremendous number of interesting people. Um, A really nice bookend to my uh, 10 years as a consultant was uh, my final project, which was writing a book for the Ford Foundation about their work in East Africa over a period of 40 years. And through that, I got to understand the history and evolution not only of Ford's work, but really of how American institutions have approached international development generally, sort of moving from direct support to governments to um, working with civil society organizations, um, looking for ways to enter into sectors such as human rights and family planning, uh, not as the first leaders, but in the wake of smaller, um, often Scandinavian organizations that were um, earlier risk takers in those sectors and so on. So that was a great part of my career, and I learned a great deal and took my um, focus on interdisciplinary learning that that I had really... um, cultivated in my PhD research to a much more practical level through my work as a consultant. And then in 2003, I joined USAID as Senior Knowledge Management Advisor in the Office of Microenterprise Development in the Economic Growth Bureau and started working in this area called knowledge management, which I had been doing without knowing what it was. Uh, So that was a wonderful opportunity because I came into an office that was doing really exciting sectoral work and um, saw the need to leverage their knowledge in order to be more impactful. So that spoke to all of my interest in change for the better. Um, Had you ever heard that title before? So, you know, not really. (laughs) <laughs> Not really. And uh, when somebody said, uh, there's a job, it's 
called Senior Knowledge Management Advisor. It's in the microenterprise office. I told them that they should hire my friend, <laughs> Evelyn Stark, who had been working in microfinance. I knew her from Uganda, from living in Uganda. And uh, they did hire Evelyn as a microfinance advisor, and then they came back to me for the knowledge management piece. So that was win-win. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't really know um, what that was. But as I got into it, it, it just made so much sense. And it was such a great time to be able to work with leaders in that sector and, um, and to be able to grow a practice in microenterprise that then sort of reached out to other parts of the Economic Growth Bureau and other parts of the agency, and then uh, ultimately to move in 2011 to the Policy Bureau to take that work agency-wide, and that's the collaborating, learning, and adapting work that we've been doing um, for these several years together uh, and um, in collaboration from the very beginning with USAID missions who have been uh, so forward-leaning in this space. So in a nutshell, that's how we are here today. It's a long and winding road, and I think a lot of people who work in knowledge management and organizational learning um, probably can relate. Um, But a couple things that just popped out at me when you were talking uh, that I, I recognize in real champions for knowledge management and organizational learning is passion for possibility. And um, when you get that, that spark and you realize, hey, this is, this, these approaches can be catalytic um, and I want to help. Yeah, that's right. And I think those of us who stick with this work and really advance it are the ones who see it as catalytic, who see the potential, who see the need for a systemic approach. And that's what's so exciting, and we hope that you will enjoy for this series, is hearing how there are approaches and systems that are important, but there are characteristics, too, and cultural elements, the enabling conditions within an organization, and um, characteristics of individuals that allow them to, to be successful in making this something that is integrated throughout their work. So... I'm really looking forward to to these episodes as they roll out. As am I, peers. So I hope we've set the table for the Leaders in Learning series. We look forward to sharing the rest of the episodes with our listeners. But before we leave, I want to take this opportunity to thank you, peers, and to acknowledge and thank Amy Leo, our intrepid podcast producer. I should also acknowledge the Office of Learning Evaluation and Research and USAID's Bureau for Policy Planning and Learning, which helped resource this series. Until next time, thank you for joining us on the Leaders in Learning podcast. The USAID Learning Lab podcast is a production of USAID Learn, implemented by Dexis Consulting Group and its partner, RTI International, on behalf of USAID's Office of Learning Evaluation and Research in the Bureau for Policy Planning and Learning. The opinions in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the United States government.